Welcome to Mind and Soul Matters. I'm Farah Feeney. Through conversations with everyday people, Mind and Soul Matters aims to broaden our understanding of mental health and spirituality and to deepen our insights into the challenges and meaning of our lives. Our guest today is Rebecca. Her childhood dream was to be a mum. Her love and passion is children. Rebecca surrounded herself with children as a childcare worker, married at the age of 22, and a year later, Ollie was born. Rebecca's childhood dream of becoming a mum was now a reality. But her journey was far from the fairy tale she had envisioned. We are privileged to have Rebecca share with us the traumas she has experienced, how she has weaved meaning into her struggles, and the lessons she has learned through it all. Welcome, Rebecca. It's great to have you here. Thanks for having me, Farah. Tell us about your dream of being a mum and how that came to be a reality. Uh, I was so eager to be a mum for as long as I can remember. And luckily, I did meet my husband quite young. And he had the same dreams of having starting a family and becoming a parent. So, yeah, we got married and a year later we had our son, Ollie, and he was born three months premature. So it was a pretty uneventful pregnancy, mostly. And, yeah, came into the world and we were thrust into this crazy world of NICU, hospitals, surgeries, appointments. Yeah, it was, a, it was a crazy time. He spent 14 weeks in hospital. 14 weeks. Yes, and then came home and was home for a few months and we noticed he wasn't breathing properly. He had uh, quite significant airway damage from being intubated as a baby. So he went back into hospital and they fitted him with a tracheostomy, which is a tube into his windpipe. So we had to learn how to care for him 24 hours around the clock and... Yeah, 11 years ago there, we didn't really have at-home nurses or anything like that. Yeah, we were on our own. At the age of 22? Yeah, I was 23 by that stage, almost 24. Oh, yes, that's right. Yeah, Yeah, so (laughs) that's still pretty young. Yeah, yeah. I think in hindsight, being so young, I think it did help me cope Mm because I don't know if I would cope as a (laughs) mid-30s. In what way do you think it helped you cope? What Um, did all that mean for you? I was very naive, yeah. I honestly just thought that I would just have these babies, bring them home and just have this normal life. Mm. Yeah. That was the dream. That was the dream. It is such a blur. I think I was on autopilot and had a lot of adrenaline running through me. So I think that helped me cope immensely well. Like I just went to the hospital, learned how to do his cares, got on with it. And that was it. Maybe I did push my own feelings to the side for a huge part of it. Mm -hmm. And that must have been my coping mechanism, Mm -hmm. which, you know, helped me make sure that he was doing okay. I think like my most important priority at that time was making sure that he was okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So pushing everything for myself to the side. Mm -hmm. He had that trachea for nine months. He needed like frequent suctioning of the trachea. He needed, we needed to change the trachea every week. He couldn't, 
cry or speak or laugh. So he would make no vocal sounds because the air was passing before his vocal cords. He needed to be attached to an oxygen SATS monitor overnight. If his heart rate went up, we knew that he was crying. And if his you know, oxygen levels dropped, we knew that he needed repositioning or suctioning or, you know, because the mucus would get blocked. Yeah, lots of cares. His little room was kind of set up next to our room and it was almost like a little mini hospital room with mm. all of his, yeah, all of his equipment and whatnot and, yeah, frequent appointments. So we were at the children's hospital three times a week. My mum was a great help between myself and my mum and my husband, Simon was FIFO. He was there one week out of three. Mm-hmm. Fly and fly out. Fly and fly out. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So he would be there to help. And what has that meant for Ollie? Um, he had a, he ended up having an airway reconstruction when he was 15 months old. Mm-hmm. So they took cartilage from his rib cage and reconstructed his airway, the part that had the damage. After he had that, then um, he had to sort of learn how to swallow properly and you know, pretty intense speech therapy and all of that just to get all that working again. And now, yeah, he's 11 and you can't shut him up. (laughs) (laughs) And then you went on to have more children. Yes. (laughs) Tell us about that. Yeah. So while we were at home and when Ollie was 18 months old, I gave birth to his brother, Flynn. So he was only a month early compared to three months early. That was a walk in the park. So we only spent two weeks in hospital with him. And actually when I was still in hospital, just after I had Flynn, Ollie got diagnosed with cerebral palsy. Hmm. Um, they didn't want to tell me until I had had Flynn because they were worried I was going to go into early labour again. The doctors and the physios did actually have an inkling that he did have this disability. So cerebral palsy is brain damage. So it was caused from being born extremely prematurely and um, it affects his muscle like motor control. So yeah, he's graded at a level two. So he started walking just before his third birthday and he does have balance and coordination issues. And so after having Flynn, it was then having to get my head around this new diagnosis right. after only not long, not having the tracky. Right. So yeah. Wow. A lot to go through in a short period of time yeah, for a was, young. Yeah. It was just bang, 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 like one thing after another. So I do... I do have a little bit of guilt after having Flynn because I should have been really soaking up this newborn, almost full-term baby, Mm -hmm. but I was just Googling madly, like, what does this disability and this diagnosis mean for Ollie moving forward? What does it mean for us? And even though we had been through so much with Ollie, like prematurity and the tracky, I felt like there was always a light at the end of that tunnel. Mm-hmm. We, you know, prematurity, they're born early. Oh, we'll get home at some stage. You know, there's always an end date, like, you know. And then with the trachea, there's a surgery. So there's always an end date to that that's always going to end. So there's always a light at the end of the tunnel. I think with the diagnosis of a lifelong disability being told permanent, that's really where I struggled the most, Right. I think, yeah. A lot of anxiety about the future and what that yeah, meant. Yeah, and not knowing... Yeah, going forward, like what does this mean for him as an older child? What does it mean for him as a teenager? What does it mean for him as an adult? Will he live independently? You know, all these questions. Um, And you worry so much as a parent anyway, but it just adds a whole extra layer of worry. Oh, I (laughs) bet. anxiety around that, yeah. 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 So that was all happening when Flynn was born? Yes. 
and then <clears throat> trying to get your head around what that means because cerebral palsy can also mean a, a, a lot of different things depending yes. on the severity. So trying to yeah. grasp that mm. and having another newborn and mm. and then tell us because then Elsie came along. Yes. Tell us about that. <laughs> just because I'm a sucker for punishment, I just thought, why not chuck a third in the mix? <laughs> so, yeah, when Ollie was four and Flynn was two and a half, I went on to have my daughter, Elsie, and she was my first full-term baby. Wow. And in many ways it was it was very, very healing to have that experience to actually hold her as I was getting wheeled out of the labour and delivery suite because um, even though Flynn wasn't that early, I didn't have that with him. He got sent straight to the NICU. That was absolutely incredible. Yeah, it was It was very, very healing and it was a beautiful moment. Did it feel like finally that dream had been fulfilled? Finally. Finally. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah. I feel when you have had a premature baby, I just feel like it's been ripped. Everything's been ripped away from you and there is some sort of grieving process because you're grieving, you know, not having that normal pregnancy and not being able to bring that baby home and even friends and family can't visit until yeah. the baby's sort of out of hospital really. Yeah, so lots of losses, losses of the dreams of how yeah. things should be and yeah. things aren't quite the way they are. And then Elsie came along and it was... It was... It was that dream. Yeah, it was gorgeous. So Ollie was four at that stage and he was walking and things like looked very bright, yeah. And then? Uh, she was diagnosed with hearing loss right. um, at nine weeks old. Also Did your world come crashing down around you at that point? Because like, it sounds like there's just one trauma after another after another. Yeah. It was even though hearing loss in the scheme of things is not bad, I suppose, as like, say, having a like, cerebral palsy or, you know, being confined to a wheelchair. or It really rocked me. Yeah. I was just like, what is going on? Thankfully, she's not profoundly deaf. It's moderate, but she still, she was fitted with hearing aids at four months old and just learning this, this other world. She had to have speech therapy and obviously being fitted with the hearing aids and then being part of the deaf community as well. It's like another... It's just another thing, <laughs> just mm. an extra thing. Yeah, so it was hard. Um, now it's not so hard because I can see that her prognosis is fine. Like she did all the early intervention and but at the time, yeah, I really struggled. Yeah, because it was just like why? Why me? Yeah, why me? <laughs> yeah. And it seems like the different things that have happened along the way are kind of unrelated, like Very. Um, Ollie being born prematurely mm-hmm. uh, and Elsie having the hearing mm-hmm. issues. They don't seem to be related, but it just seems to be like one thing <laughs> after another after another. I think that's what's um, hard about it because if, you know, you have all the same issues, you realise there's a common reason, reason why. But, yeah, being all different, it's kind of like a slap in the face because it takes you by surprise because you're not expecting it. Through all the whole process, what would you describe has been your darkest moments or the most difficult aspect of what you've been through? I think it was when I had Elsie and I was on such a high <laughs> and then to be dragged back down into another world of learning about a new disability with my full-term baby who, I mean, yeah, in my eyes I was like, oh, perfect, like perfectly healthy, you know, no medical issues. And then being told that she does in fact have medical issues. It was really, really difficult. Yeah. I really, really struggled. 
through that time. I think initially I just got on with it and sent her to, you know, get speech therapy and we did the early intervention. And then maybe when she was about two and everything had kind of settled down and we were just, everything was ticking along normally. I think then within myself, I sort of had a really, really, went through a really, really dark time. And I don't know if that's because maybe the adrenaline has worn off and, you know, when things are normal and then you just kind of sit back and you're looking at what's happened. Mm. And, then, what, and what did the dark time look like for you? Um, what did you experience? I just, to be perfectly honest, I just really just didn't want to be here anymore. And I just found it quite difficult to, yeah, get through the day. And from the outside, I, you know, was doing all the right things, you know, taking the kids to their therapies and house was spotless, but inwardly I was, yeah, struggling. You didn't want to be here anymore? No. No, I really you felt didn't. suicidal? I did feel suicidal, yeah. Yeah, um, I think it all came to a point where um, my husband, I think one day I just had quite a bad anxiety attack and I had always had a little bits of anxiety, but I think it just really, really came to a head and had such a bad anxiety attack that I, I physically couldn't speak and he didn't know what to do. He was just beside himself. Yeah, after that point, I decided to get help. I booked in to see a psychologist. Um, I was put on um, anti-anxiety medication, which I was always very anti, very against. Um, I think I'm too proud <laughs> and I don't like to admit you know, if I'm struggling, like I like to have this facade, like everything's fine. You saw it as a weakness. Oh, such a weakness. Mm. Yeah. Not for, not for other people. I don't look at, I don't look at other people who seek help or take antidepressants as a weakness, but I saw it for myself because I think I'm very, very hard on myself, mm. but it just got to a point where I just could not stay afloat. I just was, yeah, it was very, very difficult time. So I feel like the antidepressants saved my life. I feel like they took, really took that edge off, really took that anxiety away, really took that cloudiness away from my brain and um, helped me think clearer. And I did speak to someone and after, I think it was about three years, I was able to come off them. Mm. Yeah. And that's yeah. amazing that you had the I don't know if it's courage. I don't know. You might be able to explain it better, but, you know, people can be in a dark place, feel suicidal. And when when that feeling comes, it's not just about feeling down and depressed, but it's about not seeing a way out. That's where we can go down yeah. that path of suicide. Yeah. But you, you reached out and you went and talked to someone and you did what you were told to do, even though that might have not sat completely comfortable with you taking medication, but you realise that that is what was best for you and yeah. possibly for your family. Yeah, I think um, obviously the kids have always been a priority. So me, and I feel like my anxiety did come out not in that much anger, but I was getting frustrated over things that really shouldn't have been frustrating me. Like, you know, if... <laughs> just little things, you know, if there's stuff on the bench, just really, you know, and I felt like that was my anxiety coming out in this frustration with my kids. Mm. Well, I think every parent can relate oh, to that. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> we do it all the time. Yeah, absolutely. And it's completely normal to feel frustrated, but it was daily. And it was yeah. from the moment I woke up to the moment I went to bed was just this pure frustration, but really it was my own mental 
um, issues that were going on in my head that mm. made me not be able to cope in my day-to-day life. So um, I was, yeah, thinking I can't be this, this is not the parent that I want to be. Mm. So, yeah, I had to put my pride aside and seek the help, which I'm really, really glad I did. Mm. And I'm a big believer that in our darkest hours there are gifts hidden. Mm. On reflection, what do you think were the gifts hidden in those dark moments for you? I feel like, yeah, one of the biggest gifts was really making peace with the fact that this was the path that was meant for me and being really, really grateful because they are, all my kids are here, you know, they're, and now as they get older, they are walking, talking, you know, on the whole, they're generally quite content little beings and you really have to look at the bigger picture. You know, there's so much going on in the world and people have so much going on in their lives and I'm just so grateful for them and I feel like they've taught me a lot, yeah. So gratitude and acceptance of yeah, what the um, Yeah, is. accepting. Wow. They're big lessons. Accepting that um, this is my life and the path that I'm on mm. and, yeah, making peace with that. Mm. Yeah. And I know in the past you've mentioned to me that your children have special powers. Yeah. <laughs> so what, what are their special powers? <laughs> Ollie is an incredible storyteller and amazingly enough, even though Elsie does have hearing loss, he's actually got supersonic hearing. <laughs> <laughs> He'll be recounting what um, myself and Simon say <laughs> after they've, we've put them to bed <laughs> the next day. And I'm like, you oh, have to oh, be careful. I've got to be so careful around him. <laughs> Tell us about Flynn. Yes, he was actually diagnosed with autism as well. Um, There we go. After, I think I did know for many years, but there was so much going on and I don't think I was mentally prepared to hear another diagnosis. Mm. Yeah, it was only last year when he was nine that, yeah, he was diagnosed with autism as well. So cerebral palsy, autism (laughs) and hearing loss. Yeah, three totally different things. Wow. Yeah. And yet you have found gratitude and acceptance around it all. Yeah. Let's talk about <laughs> Flynn's special power. <laughs> oh gosh, he's amazing. Yeah. I actually, of, yeah, all the things I definitely don't see autism as a disability, not on his level. I do understand that there are families that have um, children with quite severe autism and that, yeah, that can be quite heartbreaking. Um, his is quite mild, so he's got a brilliant mind and I just, yeah, he's so affectionate, you know, even though he wasn't when he was younger and he's so empathetic. Like, you know, if I'm upset, he's the first one to come over and give me a hug and, yeah, Aww. so he's a, he's a beautiful child. Oh, so I definitely cool. don't look at that as a disability. Yeah, yeah. And what about Elsie's special power? Yeah, she's incredible. She's just, I don't know, she can lip read really well. (laughs) (laughs) That's a special power. We all want to. Yeah. No, she's very good. Yeah, visually, obviously, you know, I feel like when one sense is lacking, you pick up those other senses. So, Yeah. yeah, no, she's, yeah, she's, she brings us all together, I think. And Rebecca, how has being a mum of three children with, special needs impacted you or who you are and and where you are now? It's changed me massively as a person. I I definitely don't think I would be um, the person I am today without having these three kids in my life. Yeah, they've taught me so much. 
yeah, I think I was quite prior to having kids, very naive, probably a little bit too materialistic, probably a little bit self-centered. They've really grounded me and really made me take a step back and realize uh, what's important. Yeah. Mm. And it's not all those other things. Mm. It's, um, yeah, it's the here and now and it's the, yeah, trying to be present. Obviously life's hard and you try, <laughs> you can say all that and you can try and be, you know, present all the time, but no, it's, it's made me really appreciate the little things, yeah, and not take them for granted. Mm. And your current line of work? Yes. It took me 10 years to get back into the workforce, but I just kind of stumbled across this position. Um, I am a support worker for children with complex medical needs. So mm. I do actually look after kids with tracheostomies. I would never have known had I not had Ollie go through that. And I've also found that to be very, very healing. So I go into um, their homes and yeah, so I'm with the parents or without the parents, just sort of helping them with their child who you kind of can't take your eyes off them because they've got this, the tracheostomy. So yeah, that's been amazing. That's, and I really enjoy it. Gloria Steinem said this, the final stage of healing is using what happens to us to help others. Oh, I like that. (laughs) And that makes me think of your journey of how you have gone through so much trauma. You have taken that process, even in your darkest moment, you reached out and got help and you've taken some lessons from those really dark times, acceptance, gratitude, and now you are giving back to other parents. And I can't imagine a more amazing person to be doing that role because the level of empathy and compassion you would have for those families, there is no one else that would understand what it's like to walk in their shoes and how fortunate they are to have you in their life. And I never, I always admired people who were in these roles of giving back. And I just never thought of that for me, but it's funny how life has these plans for you and how it's just kind of Mm. come across and I've just stumbled across it really. Mm. And um, yeah, it's been very rewarding. I've loved it. Yeah. And still love it. Well, thank you so much, Rebecca, for coming and sharing your story and having the courage to talk about some of those very difficult, dark days. And I'm sure your story will give hope and inspiration to many parents out there. Thank you so much, Rebecca. (laughs) Thanks very much, Vara. If you've enjoyed today's conversation and wish to keep up to date with new episodes, follow Mind and Soul Matters on Instagram, Facebook, and on your preferred podcast app. You can find us on most platforms, including Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podbean and Apple Podcasts, all available for free. Think of a few friends that might be inspired by Mind and Soul Matters and share with them. If they're new to podcasting, show them how it all works. If today's episode has raised any concerns for you, please contact your local mental health service. And for our listeners in Australia, call Lifeline on 13 11 14. Join us next time as I speak to Fiona McDonald, a relationship educator, on how we can create happy and healthy families. Look forward to your company then on Mind and Soul Matters.